You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. And speaking of such uh, global relationships, this idea of sending out, this idea of the apostolic, so people that are in the apostolic, they are sent ones. And we actually have our very own sent ones here. We've had, uh, we have a wonderful couple that was with us for 21 years um, on eldership leading this team. And we, two years ago, sent them. We sent them out into the world to be doing that full-time apostolic ministries. They're now based in Texas, and they go out all the time. They've been away for over 70 days from their home, um, just going, um, visiting other churches, encouraging, um, equipping, and it's a wonderful thing. And so we get from time to time get to bring them back here and then join us again. Uh, And so it's this wonderful continuing partnership. It's this wonderful thing that we are not just a local community, we are a global community of believers. It's not just about what we have here, but we can have out into the whole world. And so when we bring people in, we're bringing people in that are gifts to the church to be able to encourage and build up and strengthen us here. So we have Steve and Terry Barr. I'm going to invite up Terry. She's going to say hello. Thank you, Joe. It's so wonderful to see all of you. Um, oh, yay, yay, looking around. <laughs> uh, missed you guys. Uh, lots of new faces that you don't know who I am or Steve. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I hope to get to know some of you today more. Um, we moved to Texas uh, And it was our dream to be with our kids and grandkids. We asked the Lord, you know, at some point, God, um, it would be wonderful for you to call us to Texas to be based in our son's church and support them, help them, and be just with family. So um, so God said yes, right? (laughs) Two and a half years ago. But um, when we first came up here uh, almost 24 years ago, it would rain, like it's doing now, and we'd get up and we'd say, oh, is anybody going to show up? <laughs> because in Southern California, where we were from, uh, if it rained, then that was an excuse to stay in bed. Um, but we'd come to church and everyone would be here. It's like, wow, this is a hearty bunch. <laughs> and uh, so nothing stops Westsiders, and nothing stops you today, and so that's wonderful. And talking to some people, um, you know, some people are going through hard times, some people are going through victories, and no matter what, God is still God, right? The family still needs to gather, right? So some of you army crawled through the doors this morning and just said, I just got to get there and be encouraged and strengthened and comforted. And some of you, you know, skipped through the parking lot to get in here to be with uh, community. And it's a wonderful thing. And so it reminds me of this scripture. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, have joy all the time. No matter what we're going through, again, I say rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's near us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need each other because we need to remind each other, right, of these things. And we don't thank God for um, some situations we're going through, but we live a life of joy and thankfulness. Why? Because he's God. He loved us so much. He died on the cross to save us and take our place. And um, it's amazing that we get to be his son or his daughter. And uh, he's with us all the time. So that's reason to have joy in all circumstances. So sometimes we go through the most tragic times and we come together and we remind each other, be anxious for nothing. God's near. He's with you. Let's be thankful for what he's done. And let's have joy. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So... Think about that this week. Tell your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, tell your soul <laughs> um, this week, the peace of God will guard you. Be anxious for nothing. We love you. So happy to be here. Thank you, elders, for inviting us back. And uh, here's my best friend and my favorite preacher. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for Steve. Uh, we just thank you for the gift that he is to this church um, to, and to churches around the world, Lord. Uh, we just pray for this message this morning. Um, pray that your words are so heavily upon Steve and they transfer to our hearts and we receive everything you have for us this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. The little light is on here. Could you guys hear me back there? Good morning. For those of you that uh, I haven't met yet, I want to meet you to say hi. Um, and those that I see out here that I love to go and give a hug right now, uh, sorry, I can't, I'm preaching. So, um, but I will, stick around. And it, it is such a privilege to be here. And like Terry said, thanks to the eldership team, the leadership team, you guys, we love you so much. We pray for you so much. Our son and daughter-in-law were here a couple months ago, and they, every time they come, they come back raving about Westside. And and how um, God is doing such great things among you. So it's a privilege to be here. If you don't know me, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, it's a beautiful town. And <laughs> um, I didn't know my dad. I lived with my mom, two older sisters. When I was five, my mom died. And so my sisters and, my, and me went through the foster care system, wards of the state of California. And I uh, went around from home to home. Some were okay and some were not okay. And uh, as, as decades have gone by, and I'm still unraveling uh, the layers of you know, abuse and trauma and all those things. And uh, by the grace of God, we landed with the family. He was a pastor of a little church. They had five kids of their own and took us in. That's my family to this day. And I'm just so grateful that soon after I heard about Jesus and said yes, as much as an eight-year-old could understand, uh, I said yes to Jesus, and God has been faithful. He's been so, so faithful. I wish I had been as faithful as he has been, uh, but God is faithful. And, and the, some of the songs we sang uh, this morning, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, that Jesus is enough for us. I'm going to ask you that question at the end of my talk today. Is Jesus enough for you? So I'll tell you right now what, what I'm going to ask you at the end. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for the difficult times, for the tough times? And so um, the thing about telling my story is this, that um, 
Most of my story has been written. As I walk through life, most of my story has been written. And that means that when I look around and see the goodness of God yeah. over and over and over again, it is true. God is good. He is only good and he is always good. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, preach out of Philippians uh, chapter 1 today. And somebody did this to me. They always do this to me. They know that the, the pulpit has to be right under the center line here. That's, that's things I'm still working out, why I do those things. So I'll, I'll, figure, it, I'll figure it out someday. Uh, so um, I preached in here once out of Philippians. I did a series called 77 Signs of a Healthy Church in Philippians. And it took a long time. Maybe not as long as Genesis just took. You just finished Genesis. But uh, it took a long time. So, um, so Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And Paul is in prison. And prisons in those days weren't like they are nowadays. Uh, it, was, it was pretty tough. So he was suffering for Jesus. Now I want to tell you that the, in the world uh, there, is, there is suffering. Jesus said in the world uh, you shall have tribulation. Talking to us. But cheer up, <laughs> cheer up, I have overcome the world. So sometimes we suffer because of our own sin, our own sinfulness, choices, there's consequences to sin. Uh, sometimes we suffer because of sin in the world, the sin condition of the world. This world is a broken place. There's under a pall, a weight of sin is in, is in the world. And, uh, and sometimes it's because of our poor, poor choices because of that sin. Uh, or somebody else's uh, poor choices. And then also, we suffer sometimes because we are serving Jesus. And that's the main point of what I'm saying today. Yes, God can come in and redeem suffering. If you're suffering because of your own choices or your sin, you turn around, you repent, and say, God, help get me out of this mess that I, that I created. And uh, he comes through, and he, he wants to walk us through into health and wholeness. But... Uh, we can suffer because we're serving Jesus. So this is what Philippians is about. It's about joy and confidence in Jesus in the midst of our suffering because we are citizens of heaven. This is not our final home. This is a way station. We're just passing through. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to key in on a phrase uh, in this passage uh, that's very familiar. The King James uh, says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know how many times my dad preached that uh, growing up, but I always thought, Ugh, that's not even a complete sentence. I don't get that. I don't understand what that means. And I just didn't get it for a long time, but I, I want to walk us through that uh, today and actually give you a theology. Wait for it. This is going to be so encouraging for you. A theology of suffering. All right, we're going to go through this, and we're going to be so encouraged this morning. So. I don't want to make light of suffering, but we've all suffered. And your story is your story. And you can't compare your story to somebody else's story. There's people in here that suffered way more than I have. Uh, way, way more. And, and, but it's all, that's our own, the only story we have is our story. And if you're a witness of what Jesus did in your life, you, you can share somebody else's story from time to time, but the one that has, has real weight to it is your story. Yeah. 
because nobody can refute your story. Nobody can refute. And it's not just your truth. It's your story. It's actually things that happen. So backing up to verse uh, 1 in Philippians. It's a short little book here. Terry read it out of chapter 4. Is it 4 or 3? 4. And uh, so you want some of those signs of a healthy church in Philippians. The first word, Paul. That's the first sign of a healthy church. You get it? His name was Saul. And a healthy local church changes lives because of Jesus. Saul to Paul. That's the first sign of a healthy church is your life is changed. People's lives are changed in a healthy local church. Paul and Timothy. There's team. We do things in team. Joe stood up here, but he stood uh, with the elders standing together, so to speak. He's the spokesperson. Like Peter said, uh, Peter took his stand with the 11. We see team all through. Servants is the next word. We are servants of Jesus. We're not serving ourselves and our own dreams. We're serving Him. So we use the gifts that God gave us to serve others so that God gets the glory. Uh, to the saints. I love how the saints are listed first here. This is the main ministry team at Philippi. This is the main ministry team here at Westside are the saints. The saints are not somebody who died hundreds of years ago and had three miracles happen to them. I'm sorry to break it to you. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. And you have a job to do. To the saints uh, uh, in Christ who are at Philippi, also with the overseers, or that's the elders or pastors, and deacons. So the leadership team uh, is listed last there. But the main ministry team here at Westside are the saints. You are called to do works of service, to love and to care for people, to reflect Jesus everywhere you go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So Paul planted this church. He's, he's on apostolic ministry. Apostolic, the adjective, it means ascending and going uh, culture. That's what Jesus said. Go therefore. He, he sent us out. And, and this is woven in through all of us uh, that this isn't this isn't the game right here this is the huddle the game is out there when we leave these doors we go engage our sphere of influence the people God has connected us with and God is sending us and going but Paul is partnering with this local church even though he planted it and then, then he left and now he's he's gone he's writing back and saying listen we're partners together in the gospel we're doing this thing together we're praying for each other we're for each other uh, from time to time, we'll see each other and, and things like this. So it's a great uh, picture we see. And I'm so glad that this church uh, partners with a, a team like Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas. And we see them all through New Testament, uh, the New Testament, Timothy and Titus. And so just a, just a little side note here. You might, have, you might be newer here and you hear MCMI, uh, New Covenant Ministries International. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. This is just a thing in, in, in this world that we have. It's a tool that we have, but we see the apostolic or this going and sending relationship, partnership in the gospel all through the New Testament. So if we're a New Testament church, we want to be a part of that. There's no such thing as an NCMI church. NCMI is a team. New Covenant Ministries International is a team. Terry and I happen to be on that team. 
Uh, and so there's over 500 couples on the team now. We're working in over 130 nations around the world. And this church is not just isolated by itself, but you are connected. You're, you're going into uh, Macedonia and down in, in Ensenada forever, down in Ensenada. And churches are being built up and impacted. And from that church going outward, uh, there is multiple effects. This church is important in this region, in this town. I still get messages regularly from other pastors in this area saying uh, Westside is doing such a great job and they're, they're a positive thing. They're impacting this, this region for Christ. That's a big deal. So w- because of this partnership that we have, that we're not just in and unto ourselves, uh, the gospel is advanced. So the, the NCMI is simply a team of apostolic-hearted people, Ephesians 4, gifted ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that they come into local churches to equip the saints for the works of service. And so uh, it's, it's great to be partnering with you as well. Uh, it's not a denomination. We have the NCMI team has no authority in this church. The highest human authority in this church are the elders. That's it. But through their wisdom, they're partnering with outside seasoned men and women of God who bring in uh, insight from outside and, and, and uh, input and uh, equipping and things like that. It's just all through the New Testament. So, um, uh, continuing in verse 6, this is also a famous verse. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So God started something in Westside. He's working it in you, and he's going to finish it in you. Well done. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how how, uh, Terry and I yearn for you. People go, do you miss California? And we go, no. We miss the people. We miss our people. We yearn for you. We pray for you so often. And we're always finding out about you. How's, how's this? How's, you know, how's this kind of thing? There is a connection with Paul and the church at Philippi. And we can uh, really see that. And it is my prayer that your love, and this is my prayer for you. I, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So once again, I'm going I'm to key in on the phrase to live as Christ, to die as gain. And um, this is one thing when I was a kid, to die as gain. That's the better part. I want to tell you this. I'm not going to talk too much about the dying part today. But dying is the easy part. Dying is the easy part. Living for Jesus every day, sacrificially, which we're called to do, living sacrifices, living for Jesus every day, sacrificially for the rest of your life, that's the hard part. Okay, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit right now. So looking around here, I'm probably going to be going to see Jesus before most of all y'all. <laughs> that's just the way it is. There's no guarantees. There's, there's no guarantees. I've done too many funerals in this, in this church, memorial services, and too many for younger people that have passed away. Death is our enemy. 
It ought not to be. Sin and death, though, have been conquered by what Jesus did at the cross. And we don't have to fear any of those. And, and so uh, Jesus conquered sin and death. Sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, it's, we, we're going to have some struggles here. But it's always about Jesus. It's always about keeping our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's always, always, always about Jesus. So this is uh, the process that when we say yes to him, now we're living for him. This is an ongoing thing. Jesus is going to continue working in you, refining you, conforming you to the image of, of Christ until the day he calls you home. This is an ongoing process. So we have been saved. We are being saved now, and ultimately we will be saved. So this joy that comes is deep and lasting. It's not just temporary like happiness. Happiness is great. The Bible talks about happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happiness is great, but it's temporary, depending on circumstances. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's deep, and it's lasting, and it's going to stay. So just uh, real quickly, once again, on my story, uh, Terry and I, in February, will be married 50 years. I'm really excited about that. And we are best friends. I tell people we've been happily married 45 years, and it's a, been so wonderful. So she is my best friend. But um, in 1977, we got in a bad uh, uh, accident. We were at the airport, airport shuttle. Uh, Brian was, was a toddler. I had him I held like this, which, which turned out to be the perfect way to hold him at that point. We got hit by a Cadillac at 55 miles an hour. Uh, uh, s- s- uh, some injuries and stuff. My friend Russ and I, we were... Uh, our car was totally hit from behind by a truck in Berlin. We went to Berlin right, right when the wall came down, uh, just weeks after the Soviet Union collapsed, and uh, a big accident there, more injuries. In 2005, we're coming down I-5, a big bud slide came out of the mountain. We almost got buried there. Uh, I had a traffic accident on Missouri Flat here. got broadsided uh, by a car coming off the freeway there, going through the red light, or no, the green light, and she went through a red light. Uh, in tw- 2013, some of you might remember, we had a big uh, accident in, in Denver. Um, so Terry's side got T-boned, and she had to be extricated from the car, lots of injuries, things like that. And, um, and over the years, I had a pancreas surgery a couple years ago, a few years ago, just out of the blue, so, some things like this. But uh, when I was preparing this sermon, I, actually, God gave me this sermon for Westside about six months ago, uh, just in my own time with the Lord. I just said, I want to talk about suffering. That nobody really talks about suffering very much. And um, so I preached it a couple times already because I have developed it into a message. But this message really was something that I've been looking forward to sharing with, with you all. Uh, because I know you'll identify with it. So how do these things all, the things that I just listed real quick, how do they all correlate together? Well, one thing is I could be a really bad driver. That's one thing that I could get out of that. Um, Fortunately, none of them were uh, my fault. But here's what I learned in figuring, thinking of the calendar over the, the last years. Every single one of those incidents, whether it was automobile or health or financial things, every single one came right around a time of fruitfulness in our ministry. 
a fruitfulness or a pivoting, a decision-making spot, a fork in the road. Every single one. Isn't that amazing? I mean, sometimes we don't see all those things, but I guarantee you that when you are tested, when you are suffering, there is something taking place in the spiritual realm that you don't know about. You may be able to look back on it someday and see it, uh, but you may not see it right away. So just to be clear, God did not cause those things to happen to us. Yes, he's sovereign, and yes, he allows everything that takes place in the universe to go forward, but it's only because he loves us, and he always has our highest in mind. But I will tell you this, that the devil uses those things. The devil will use stumbling blocks in your life to derail you, to get you off track, to get you away from or walk away from the call of God on your life and say, I'm giving up. Devil, I'll make a pact with you. You leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. And he'll say, okay, okay. But he is the father of lies. He will never do that. He will always keep after you. He, he doesn't fight fair. He kicks you when you're down. And he'll get us thinking about ourselves and our, our circumstances and our life. And we spin, 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 spin out of that. And we wake up and find that we've been ineffective or we miss some brilliant uh, opportunities in our life to serve Jesus and make a difference in our, in our uh, uh, lives. And so, once again, all those things that I mentioned, there's a bunch of other stuff that I caused myself. I didn't mention those ones. <laughs> those things seem to have a connection. The only connection I could find is it was always around times of fruitfulness in our life or, or decision, big decision. So if you're a Christian, the devil is going to attack you. And you need to be aware of it. And you need to not be thrown by it. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, this is the hard one, be very glad. I'm, I, I could just people, hear people reading this letter from Peter. What? Be very glad. For these trials, he says, make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. So it's a, it's a fact. It's, we're going to be tested, and we're going to go through some suffering. So continuing in, in Philippians, verse 18, Paul continues, and he's talking about people who are preaching with selfish motives. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, and it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, Paul's asking for courage here, and courage is a big deal. There's a list in Revelation 21 of people who won't make it into heaven. There's a list of liars and, 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 and thieves and, and blasphemers and, you know, enemies of God. You know what's the, the first thing in that list in Revelation 21? You'll have to go look it up later. The first one is the people that won't make it into heaven is cowards. Do you know that's in the Bible? Cowards. God doesn't like it when we deny him or... Uh, we're, we, we don't obey him because we're afraid. Remember the guy who hid the thing in the ground? He goes, I was afraid. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor thing. He said, you wicked servant. I gave you that. 
I gave you that life. I gave you that mind. I gave you that heart. I gave you those gifts so that you could advance and expand the kingdom of God and tell other people about me. God doesn't have patience for us when we are afraid. So cowards is a big deal. Ask God for courage. Paul's asking for courage. Not uh, Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Here it is. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So like we said, dying is the easy part. Living is the tough part. We're going to back up and repeat those two verses in the NLT. I just read out of the ESV. For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold, that's that courage, for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. So, the Bible does say a lot about suffering. We could talk about it for weeks, but here's a couple verses, Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said, this is when Paul got saved. And, he, and this is Cornelius. God says to Cornelius, go tell uh, Saul. His name was Saul at that time. Uh, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Who told you that when you came to Jesus? Come to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sin. And he's going to show you how much you're going to suffer for his name's sake. That was Paul's call. Wow. Jesus said to, this, to us, in this world you will, not you might, but you will have trouble or tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So Paul says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Wow. Do you know when Paul wrote this, these things had already happened to Paul in his life because he served Jesus. All right? 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 29. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled along many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I have never met somebody who has out-suffered Paul. Let's go back to the first thing he said. You know, Jesus, when he was on trial and he was going to be crucified, they, they whipped him with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. That's a short whip with, with nine thongs of leather and jagged bits of, of uh, metal or glass. And a skilled executioner could kill somebody. And 40 lashes was considered a death sentence, so 39 lashes was considered just short of dying. I don't know, but if my back is ripped open, my sides ripped open, the inner organs are exposed, and then they say, okay, that's 39, how long does that take to recover from? A long time. 
My friend Jeff had uh, knee surgery recently. I had my knee surgery a year ago. I'm finally through it, but it takes months to recover just from a surgery like that. And I'm sure that Paul went through a painful recovery. Five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. Five times. If I went into a city and they did that to me, and then God goes, okay, I want you to go to this city now, and they're going to do the same thing to you. I say, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I put my time in. <laughs> I've done that thing already. Five times. Three times beaten with rods so much that he thought he was dead. Stoned with stones. And they, they, they did it until you died. So most people believe that Paul had died, and they came out and prayed for me. He rose and shipwreck, and cold, and dangers, and all these things. Paul suffered, but God said at the very beginning, I'm going to show him how much he, he must suffer for my name. So here's, here's, the, here's the main point that I have for today, and it, it's really easy. It's my only point. Paul invites us to join him on his journey of living for Jesus. Living for Jesus has quotations around it because living is living as a living sacrifice for him. Laying down our lives, laying down our life on the, on the altar as living sacrifices. Most sacrifices on the altar are dead already. We're called to go on the altar. It's hot and stay there. The temptation to be a living sacrifice means you want to crawl off the altar. So living for Jesus, where we can have this joy and confidence that Paul is talking about, because we are citizens of heaven, this is only a way station. Verse 27, he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. In other words, this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We've, as believers, we've got to get that through our heads. This is a way station, and in the light of eternity, like that Francis Chan illustration with the long, long rope with a little bit of red tape at the end. This is eternity. It goes on forever and ever. This little bit of red tape at the end, that's our life here. And we place so much time and effort living on this right here. And we spend all this time planning so we can retire in this time right here <laughs> instead of living for eternity. It's perspective as believers. And Paul's trying to give us this eternal uh, perspective. Conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. That's the good news. Whatever it takes to tell people that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them. He died in their place. He rose again on the third day. He's coming back for us. Tell them the good news. That's why we're here. That's why you're still here as a believer. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. I pray that today you would say yes in your heart to Jesus and tell somebody as soon as you can. I said yes to Jesus. I, I don't know all that stuff, but I do know I want to follow him. So back to us, the church. Paul says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. That is unity. And I hear screaming today. There's unity in this church. Is there perfection? No. Do we ir irritate each other once in a while? Yes. Have we arrived? No. Are we it? 
No, we're part of it, but we're on our way. We're standing together in our weakness, in our humanity, rallied around the name of Jesus. That's the unity. We're fighting for that. This is the good news. So that's why you need community. That's why you need every one of you, if you're part of Westside, you need to be in a community group. You do. You need to stand together and rally together with a group of people. They met in the temple and from house to house. We see it in the New Testament. They met in smaller groups and larger groups. Why? Because you can't be an effective Christian just meeting once a week for an hour and checking off the box. It got, we got to do life together as believers, stand together, fight together, arm in arm, shoulder uh, to shoulder. People who love you, people who know you, They know the right questions. And people go, I don't want anybody asking me what I'm doing like this. No. We need that. We do. Ask any football team. You want to go out there and play this by yourself against those 11? No, I need my team. And we're going to get the crap beat out of us in that game. We're going to come back in the huddle. We're going to have a squirt of Gatorade. We're going to slap each other on the head. We're going to get it planned. And we're going to go out there and do it again. <laughs> this is the huddle. Not the game. All right? So, he continues on in verse 28. Remember I said we just read chapter 1 today. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them. You're going to be destroyed, but that you are that you're going to be uh, saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only, listen to this, you've been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Yeah. What? Now he's talking to you and he's saying, come on this journey of following Christ with me because we're going to suffer. Are you encouraged? <laughs> I hope you're encouraged. Jesus said, even in Psalm 23, he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Right? It's all through Scripture, this thing. We're not delivered from all these things, uh, but he will be with us. We're in this struggle together, he says in verse 30. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. So, um, we're winding down here. So while I'm speaking, and I look back on the times that Terry and I have suffered. And so many of them are right around times when God was moving in our life and wanting us to take a risk or reach out and not shy away from the call of God on our life. And it's painful and it, it, it hurts. And, and it's not easy. And it's cost us. Whether it's big or small, suffering. I remember my friend Jack in this church dying from aggressive cancer and seeing a photo of him on his back in a dark living room with his hands in the air days before he died, worshiping. He had an eternal perspective Friends who have endured the heartbreak of losing adult, adult children. Any children. 
terrific. But continuing to serve Jesus. So many friends we have in ministry taking point. If you're in the military and you're on point, you're the first one to get shot at. Taking point. Leading local churches around the world and continuing to do it. Business owners serving Jesus first by operating with integrity and honesty, even to their own financial detriment. But they're going to do it to represent Jesus. Students loving Jesus in spite of being disregarded, marginalized, being made fun of, continuing to stand tall for Jesus. Family members continuing to pray for loved ones, wayward children, and seeing no outward change. They continue, they continue, they continue. Christian parents demonstrating trust and reliance on the provision of God, even though their bank account is empty. Still trusting God. Read Hebrews 11. Faith Hall of Fame. Many saw the promise of God, but most of those prophets of the Old Testament never saw the promise. But yet they were killed before they ever saw it. For the privilege of suffering for Jesus, Paul says. And I want to say it's worth it. It's worth it. Because we need him, we need to stand together. It's worth it because there's still more people that need to come into the kingdom and hear the good news. It's worth it because you have a race to finish. Paul says, I want to win this race. You're not racing against each other. There's only one person in your race. It's you. And the way you win your race is to finish it. Yeah. You're running this race to win it, to complete the task and finish the race. It's worth it because he is worth it. It's worth it because Jesus deserves the reward, you, of his suffering. He suffered for you, and he deserves his reward. It's worth it for us to go through these things triumphantly. Is it fun? Not necessarily. But you can have joy in the middle of it. Leonard Ravenhill has a tombstone in Tyler, Texas. Terry and I went and visited. He's a teacher and a writer. And, and uh, on his tombstone, it says this. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? What are you living for? Are the things you're living for? Our culture says you live for your job and your career and money and and, and fame, and, and uh, pleasure, and whatever. You live for those things. One of the biggest phrases in our culture is, live for the weekend. I live for the weekend. If you're a believer, that takes on a whole new connotation. What are you living for? Who are you living for? Is a good question. 
But Paul talks about the privilege of suffering for Jesus. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain, but while I'm living, I'm going to sacrificially lay down my life that Jesus might be glorified and honored. So I have a question for you, and then I'm going to ask you to respond to it in a, in a minute. Is Jesus enough for you? That, that's talking about the sufficiency of God. Paul said, ah, like this. And God's answer to Paul was, no, you're not going to get your request. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. I want to ask you, is Jesus enough? We sang about it today. I don't know if they, Mike came in and got my notes or something, stole my notes, hacked my computer or what he did. But God is sufficient. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody or anything. That's the sufficiency of God. And sometimes his answer to us is that he's enough. That's all you get is him. That's enough for me. Is Jesus enough to forgive you? To heal you? To lead you? To place your trust in? To put your hope in? To put your faith in? To love you? Is Jesus enough to answer your prayer? To provide financially for you? To restore your joy? To give you a spouse? To give you a child? To give you confidence? to give you purpose, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to complete his work in you? Is Jesus enough to remove your doubt, remove your shame, remove your pain, to restore that relationship? Is Jesus enough to heal you, to heal your child, to heal your spouse, to bring your wayward child home, to save your parents, to save your children, to walk with you? As you approach death, is Jesus enough? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you come to Jesus, yeah, you're going to get a yoke. You're going to be yoked to Jesus. You're going to have a burden to carry. But Jesus says it's easy and it's light. Sometimes we have a heavy burden. It's not easy and it's not light. If that's your case, Jesus didn't give it to you. You gave it to you. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus right now. Maybe you've gotten off track. You can get back on track right now. Maybe you've wrestled with whether God is good or not. Truly good, always. You can settle that issue. So today, in front of him and before all these witnesses, you can, in a moment, stand up and testify and proclaim. So listen carefully. I'm going to ask you to stand up if this is you. If you declare that Jesus is enough, His grace is enough 
for you that Jesus is Lord of your life. Please stand. We're going to pray. We thank you and praise you. Thank you that you're enough, Jesus. Thank you for the spirit of agreement here, the spirit of confidence and trust as we stand here as citizens of heaven before you. Lord, seal this in our hearts today. Let it not just be a momentary thing, but seal it in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.